0: The scripture reading today comes from Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. Look, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy, and I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in the house they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their house and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. And they will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children, too, will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, the lions will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed in my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken.
1: Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Striebeck. Um, You know, so I just had a real disappointing thing happen a couple of weeks ago, or it had happened you know, prior to that, but my discovery was only a couple weeks ago, so my favorite six-foot level is not level anymore, and I know, and I know you're all just as sad as I was, you know, when I realized that. Of course, it takes a few rough openings to realize, oh, this is not working like it's supposed to, because even my eye can tell that that's not level, but my level told me it was level. And so, what's the problem? So, sure enough, I checked it with another level and checked it with a plumb bob, and I thought this is this is really a sad day. So, I had a little memorial service for my level uh, that I've had for over twenty years. And, um, anyways, it was a it was a sad day. And I know you all share my grief and 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 that sort of thing. But you know the, the that's a real that's a real bad day when you realize I've been using a metric, I've been trusting something as true. That is not true at all. And so it just, it kind of, you start, everything comes into question. Like, oh my goodness, I've lost my bearings. You know, it's like when your compass is not calibrated to true north and you're going, this is this is really going to be a problem uh, when when I get lost. So you got to check those things. I think that Isaiah's word uh, that Taylor read for us, this vision, this poem uh, that is shared with us that echoes through the centuries, I think it serves as sort of like a compass recalibration for us it certainly served as a as a level check uh, for the people of that day and it continues to do that for us because we all just go you know from day to day and day to day and day to day and we tend to you know get just a little bit off you know just a quarter of a bubble at first and then it's half a bubble and then all of a sudden you know the bubble's all the way outside the lines and life just looks like this. And so we realize that, uh, we we come to the understanding, we realize what we've been missing, we get things squared away, and we start with a new beginning. And we love new beginnings, as we should. I mean, you know, you go into the first of the year, uh, I was just cleaning out my desk the other day and I found a planner that I intended to start using on January 1st in 2022, and I thought, hey, no better time to try this again in January 1st of 2023. So, you know, we're always looking for those new opportunities, new beginnings, because with every... Uh, opportunity we there's something inside of us that says you know i could do that a little better or i can i want to re you know i want to get better at this relationship i want to get better at this part of my job i want to be a better dad in this way or i want to do this that or the other and it just points to that thing inside of us that loves to come alive and to grow and to learn and we're always discovering you know we're lifelong students just as human beings and then certainly as disciples in the church of jesus christ so fresh starts are very important to us uh, the season of Advent that we're coming up on, is, is that is an entire season devoted to a new beginning, a new start. It's a reset button. It's a recalibration of the level for our hearts to align with the Christ who is coming, who has come and is coming and will come again. It's a great season for that. And so that's what we're, so much of the time as we're worshiping, that's what we're doing. That's what we're looking for. And so Isaiah shares this word of God with the people who are in exile, who are on the verge of losing hope, who are really, really struggling. The former city that we speak of, the the former city, the old city did not go well uh, because of disobedience and idolatry and drifting away from God. The people of God have experienced this time of punishment and isolation This distance from God, this distance from one another, this living in a strange land, where you know up is down and down is up, and they don't understand what's going on, and it's just strange. I think it's a really good summary of exile. When we talk about exile, and it kind of we can see it from the text today—a reversal of exile. But what exile is at its at its core, I think, is basically you build the house and someone else lives in it. You plant the seeds, tend the land. You harvest the crop, and then your enemies and strangers come in and take it before you ever have a chance to touch it. We build. Enemies and strangers live in those houses. We plant, we tend, we harvest. Enemies, strangers come and take and eat. In exile, there's no enjoyment of our work. There's no dignity in the the joy of working for something, holding it in our hands, being able to enjoy the gift of it, and then share it with others. It's just taken from us before we have a chance to do that. That's what exile looks like. The economy is broken. Uh, our relationships break under pressure. And it's, it's just truly a, a terrible time. You know, people die before they're supposed to die, all those things. And so exile is intended to have and often does have a purifying effect, though, uh, when, we, when we're in the middle of it and we realize, okay, this is not how we want to live. What's it going to take to wake up and remember that there's a different way to live? And so for those who remain faithful, the story of the Old Testament tells and going into the New Testament, those who choose not to fall away or run after idols, those who change their minds, who repent, who run after the living God, those who devote themselves to God in the company of his people, begin this hopeful process of remembering, of remembering a why we live a certain way, that what is at stake and what's out there, why we even bother to build things That are level and plumb and true, and why it's important to know which direction is north. One ignition for memory is certainly this poem in Isaiah's poem. This is for the obedient, this is for the faithful. I mean, they spent time talking about now, if you're running away from God, you're going this other direction, and you're standing and spitting in the face of God, all that, you want to go a different direction. Then, then we're gonna let you go but but Isaiah is saying God is saying to you that that he's not forgotten about you that he's still here and it's it's kind of this vision is a sight for sore eyes for the faithful people of God and it comes at the end of the book it's a very beautiful reminder that there is a dream of a holy city that is truly at the center of the earth it's in the center of the world it's a place where God can meet with humanity and it's a place where humanity shares peace with one another it's a place where the lion and the lamb lie down together it's a place where people live in harmony according to the goodness of god and we live we truly find life and the name of that place in old testament days was jerusalem that's what the holy city was all about and isaiah is saying god is going to start things afresh we're going to rebuild the city Right on the, on these principles and on these things, and God is going to be at the center of this. And then, of course, this is one of the ways that God is going to bless the world that he loves. The choir just saying this about God loving the world, and one of the ways that God was going to love the world was there would be this holy city, and in that holy city there would be a holy people that would then go out and be those messengers for the rest of the world, that there was a God in Israel, that there was God who loved them. And so this great text in Isaiah 65 just shows this beautiful picture of the reversal of exile, of what it looks like to come home, you know? And so we get these great passages. There will be a time again, my people that I love, you will build houses and you will get to live in those houses. You will plant crops and you'll get to tend those crops. And when it rains and they bring forth the harvest, you'll harvest those crops and you'll get to eat the fruit of those crops, and you'll get to share that those crops with your neighbors and with those who can't farm because they're widows or they're orphans. You'll get to share that with others. This is a return to the as it should be. You know, we spend so much of life, rightly so, looking at things and seeing things and saying that is not as it should be. And so th- this vision is a reminder that one day things will be restored and things will be as they should be, as God intended originally. And we see this same imagery come back to us in the Book of Revelation at the end of our Bible. You know, in Chapter Twenty-One of Revelation, that this John sees this vision of the New Jerusalem. You know, that's not built by human hands, but it just covers everything. It's the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. is built for us. It's it's where we live with Christ forever. And the marks of this new, this holy city, this new vision for this way that we're going to live together is marked by joy. It's a fascinating thing. I've never noticed in this text before, but if you just look at the first few verses that were read for us today, be glad and rejoice forever. Behold, I created Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice, gladness, rejoice, gladness over and over again. That's gonna be the hallmark of when we have arrived, when things look as they are supposed to look. This is the place where broken hearts are healed and what has been lost will be recovered and restored. This is the new heavens. This is the new earth. The former things will be forgotten. As I read about this week and I got thinking about, you know, what does it mean for the former things to be forgotten for, for us as people? And then what is God's relationship to memory? What is God's relationship to the former things? And I begin to think about passages throughout scripture, both Old and New Testaments, where, where God would say we would learn things about God, such as in Hebrews 8, God says, I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In other words, I will forget their sins. Or the passage that we love to quote from Psalm 103: that uh, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love of God to those who fear him, as far as east is from the West. So far does God remove our transgressions from us. There's a forgetfulness in the mind of God for very intentional things. But also we recognize that God is seen throughout scripture as remembering. But God is both forgetting on one hand and remembering on the other. Remember Genesis 9 when uh, the flood has happened and God is restoring and recreating things. And he has these words that he's giving to Noah and his family. And as this, this covenant is renewed with the family of Noah and it's renewed, you know, here in a minute with Abraham. And it's going to be all of us now are included in that. Uh, when Christ comes, the fulfillment of so much of that. Uh, but God says to Noah, I will remember my covenant that is between you and every living thing, every creature of flesh, all the waters will never again become a flood and destroy the flesh. When you see this rainbow in the clouds, it'll be like the image of a bow that's drawn. And that's to remind us that God will never again inflict that kind of pain on the world in that way. It's a, remember, it's a reminder of God's faithfulness. And when God even says, when I see the, the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the everlasting covenant. Between every living creature and the flesh is in the earth. And God said to know, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So what does God remember? God remembers his promises. He remembers his promises over and over and over throughout scripture. We're reminded that God is remembering his promises to us. He will not forget his promises to Abraham on down through the centuries. And we're included in that. God remembers his promises to us. God remembers not only promises to us, but God remembers us. God remembers us when we feel like we're all alone and that we're abandoned and that life is too hard. And so we have the birth of Jesus and this great announcement that this is Emmanuel. This is God with us. God remembers us. God also remembers the injustices that are done to us to his people. These are not things that he forgets. One of the great news things about the judgment at the end of all things, and we say in the Apostles' Creed, like we believe that Jesus will come, he will return to judge the living and the dead. The great news of that is the harm that was done, the injustices that were done to us and to the people that God loves, they will, they will, he will not forget those. Uh, those things will not go unpunished. And so that's, that's good news, that God does not forget those things. It's not just a casual, oh, well, that thing happened. It wasn't that big a deal. It was a big deal. And God has not forgotten that. So what does God forget? I mean, what does God forget in his eternal memory? Obviously, God doesn't forget anything. God does, I mean He doesn't he can remember everything. It's not He's not like He has a problem, like when we get older and we say, gosh, I just can't remember names anymore. Or we tell people you hear people say things like boy, I've forgotten more things about this, that, and the other than you'll ever learn in your life or that kind of thing. You know, we celebrate the, the memory of a, that's inside of a person, the things that we accumulate. It's not as though God has trouble remembering, but it's a deliberate decision in the mind of God that God does forget some things, some way. It's good for us to wrestle with that. What does that mean? For one, God forgets our sin. He forgets our sin. He forgets the the disposition inside of us, the rebellious nature, and, and you know, through our baptism we're restored and we grow and we learn and, and we realize we have the forgiveness of sins. God forgets our sins. He's not dwelling on those things. He's not sitting around all day thinking about that stuff. God forgets our failures. You know? He forgets those things that we're trying to leave behind. God's not trying to bring those back up for us. God forgets, in the Old Testament language, the former things. Again, not the thing, not that those not important things happen, but he's not dwelling on those things on our behalf. And so it occurred to me this week, you know, it's a good reminder for all of us that that we should not be remembering what God has forgotten. And we should not be forgetting what God has remembered. It's a good exercise for us. And so this vision is for a, a robust life now, certainly, uh, but it's one that takes its shape and it's and from and is only perfectly realized in the New Jerusalem. It's the city that our hearts always long for. In our day, it's the church at the center of the world, full of God's holy people. Kind of wrapping up on this Isaiah 65, I love the way that this vision, this poem ends with a great, what we might call a gospel reminder. This is the thing that caught my attention the most as I was reading this week about the nature of God, about what is the gospel. We talk about good news. We talk about uh, something that is worth giving our entire lives to and living and sharing with others. How about this? What does this tell us about the nature of God? In verse 24, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Before we even have the thought to call or we open our mouth to call, God says, I will answer. I will be one step ahead of the people in their need. That's called grace. That's a grace that goes before us, that prepares our hearts, and then brings us exactly what we need in the presence of God. I think any Jewish reader at the time, and, and I think when we read closely, I think one of the images that we're supposed to hear and supposed to see in this text, this idea of, I will know before you even have a chance to ask for it, I'll be there. I will answer you. Uh, it reminds us, I think, of this maternal care that we see in the world. Uh, like a mother, knowing the needs, knowing the dangers right before a kid even knows to ask, uh, I brought today a, a, one of my favorite quotes uh, about this sort of thing from a Swiss theologian called Hans Urs von Balthasar. And this is too good not to just read it, so I'll let him speak for it, but he was writing in the, in the 20th century. And he observes, in, as, as a good theologian, he says, That's After a mother has smiled at her child for many days and weeks, then she finally receives the child's smile in response. She has awakened love in the heart of her child. Knowledge comes into play because the play of love has already begun beforehand, initiated by the mother who fills this transcendent role. God then interprets himself to human beings as love in the same way. God radiates love, which kindles the light of love in our hearts, and it is precisely this light that allows us to perceive absolute love for it is God who said let light shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ second Corinthians 4 and so it is in this space the primal foundation of being this is God that smiles at us as a mother and a father and insofar as we are his creatures the seed of love lies dormant within us as the image of God but just as no child can be awakened to love without being loved, so too no human heart can come to an understanding of God without this free gift of grace in the image of his son. Exile is the hardest place in the world to hope, it's the hardest place in the world to be awakened to this kind of love. But it is also in exile. That is great training ground. It's great learning ground. It's a place where we really get to exercise this hope that is the foundation of so much of what we see and what we believe in the Christian life. As we approach uh, the table at Holy Communion, you know, I was thinking about the connection between you know. Imagine Jesus as he's saying goodbye to his disciples, and he gathers in an upper room, and he knows that they're going to betray him. And even holding that knowledge, he shares with his disciples. He says, "Now, as often as you eat meals and drink in this way, I want you to remember that this is in remembrance of me. And we won't—I won't eat like this again until I see you at the end of all things." Right? Jesus foreshadows this great feast that we'll all be a part of in the holy city, right in the New Jerusalem, and we'll feast with Christ in this immediate way. So Jesus offers that, such grace, to this group that would betray him but ultimately return. And I think Jesus knew we would need the exercise of remembering in this way. And that part of that would be learning to forget what God has forgotten. And we just tend to hold on to things. We tend to want to remember all the stuff that God's already forgotten so that we might awaken to the possibility of promise. And so in a moment when we confess our sins, before God and one another, and we celebrate the joy of forgiveness, let us not remember what God has forgotten. And let us not forget what God remembers. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.